Welcome to the Jacob Barrientos Podcast. To stay connected, go to jacobbarrientos.org. And now, here is Pastor Jacob. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. I did put these notes in the Bible app. I don't always do that for our midweek service, but I wanted you to have these verses because I'm, I'm going to begin a, a short series here on our midweek service uh, entitled Beholding and Becoming. Beholding and Becoming. This is something, I'll be honest with you guys, in the last probably three or four months, I have personally felt closer to Jesus than I ever have in my walk with him. And so much, I'm going to walk you guys through what some of the Lord has been doing in me, what he's been showing me. And I believe even tonight is a prophetic night, and so don't think that I'm changing that. Uh, But this is going to help us in our journey. How do we hear the Lord What is God like? What is he speaking? What is he showing us? And this is going to help us in that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, this is what it says. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, that's a, a lot of veiled language, but we're going to unfold it, and I think the Lord's going to show us some things. But let's pray that, uh, that even tonight the Lord would allow us to catch a glimpse of him and his glory. And even as we look upon him, he's transforming us. We're being transformed into his image from glory to glory. So let's just pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts and change our lives. Lord, we just do. We come to you and I present this word to you. I thank you, Lord. We have the joy and the privilege of coming into your presence and beholding you, mighty God. Lord, there was a, there was a moment, uh, even the offering referenced it, Lord, there was a time where Moses was the only one one allowed to go into that cloud of glory, but Lord, now you have opened the door for all your sons and daughters to come and to behold your presence, to behold your face, and as we do, we are transformed into your glorious image. Come on, church, would you help me pray? Pray with your spirit. Pray with your understanding. Lord, I pray that even now you would give us, Lord, an anointing to hear what your spirit is speaking to us. Lord, I pray that even Jesus, as you were anointed to preach good news to those who had needs, Lord, you would anoint me to preach your word to every hungry heart. And I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Give us liberty tonight in receiving your word and all you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Oh, hallelujah. I need the Lord to help me with this. I, I already feel like I just look at these texts and it makes me want to weep. The Lord's been doing a good work in my heart. And, and I think this is going to help us. Really what we want to deal with over, I don't know, the next couple weeks maybe, is dealing with identity. Everybody say identity. You look into this mirror of glory, and the Bible says that you are transformed into his glorious image. Essentially, the Lord wants us to look into him, and as we do that, we are 
continually transformed glory to glory to glory. You're looking more and more like Jesus every day of your life. And we've seen this. In fact, next week, DJ, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to find me some pictures of this for next Thursday night. But have you ever seen these pictures of pets that look like their owners? Have you ever seen that? Oh, it is hilarious. If you've not seen it, DJ's going to find us a whole portfolio and we'll bring them up here. But what happens is you get owners who spend so much time with their dog or their cat or whatever it may be uh, uh, that they end up looking like them. You ever seen this? Like the dog has the same haircut as the lady or whatever. It's, a, it's very interesting. Uh, you'll notice that couples who have been married and spent a lot of time together, you're talking like 30, 40 years, they start to look like each other. How's that possible? I mean, you look at my wife and I, we've, been, we've actually known each other for nearly 20 years now. We don't look so much alike, but I promise you, Come visit us in 20 years, 30 years, and we will probably look just like each other. Why? Because we're close. We're beholding one another. We're being transformed. And so, so you just imagine. This is the very picture that we're given in this text. We have the opportunity. And I love that message Pastor Melani brought about the offering. You realize, like, everybody was afraid to go into the glory of the Lord. Moses, you go. You talk to the Lord. You tell us what he says. And that's actually the very context of 2 Corinthians. He talks about how Moses came down and he was reflecting the glory. And and so they said, Moses, this freaks us out. And he put a veil over his face. But the Bible says as we've now come into a new covenant in Christ, it's a covenant of the Spirit. As we are in Christ, the veil is now removed. And we get to behold the glory of the Lord face to face, the very same way that Moses did. We get to view, and here's what's even crazier. That covenant that Moses had, it was wonderful, but ultimately it was only a school teacher to lead us to Jesus. That's what the book of Galatians says. Ultimately, everything that you see in the Old Testament was pointing towards Jesus. And so now, They call it an inferior covenant. It was a lesser covenant. It's still wonderful, still good. It taught us how to seek the Lord and what his standards are and all of that. But ultimately, it was leading us to Jesus. So now we no longer live by the letter of the law, but we live by the Spirit of God. So we get to behold the Lord And as we behold him, we are transformed into his glorious image from glory to glory to glory. And so here's here's the questions that, that we must ask. The two most important questions that you will ever answer in life. I'm serious. Like, you go talk to somebody on the streets, like, what's the meaning of life? The two most important questions that you will ever answer is, number one, who is God? Who is God? Everybody say, who is God? That's a very important question. Because you go talk to a Muslim, they will claim, we have the same God as you. You go talk to, I mean, there's a lot of just like kind of generic verbiage out there. You can talk to a Buddhist. You can talk to spiritual people. You can talk to, and everybody believes in God. But when you draw a line in the sand, I believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that makes things different right there. 
And that's my response. I, I haven't been able to use it personally. I'm excited about the day that I will get to when a Muslim tells me, oh, we worship the same God. My response immediately will be, really? You worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, they like Prophet Jesus, and he's right there with Prophet Muhammad, but uh, no, not Lord because I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is God? If you get that question right, friend, it's the difference of life and death for all eternity. It's the difference of purpose in this life. It will change everything about your present, your future, and your eternity. So we need to know who is God. But the second most important question is, in light of who God is, who am I? What does that mean for me. Because now I've come into Christ. He's doing a work in my life. I recognize who he is and what he's done. You are God. But now I step into his assignments and his purposes and he has a plan for my life. So this is very important because as we are reflecting the glory of the Lord, what are we reflecting? What is God actually like? And when we behold him, what are we actually beholding? Because there's a lot of people who have a picture of an angry God. And when they prophesy, when they share, when they do it, it's angry God. I grew up hearing about angry God. It wasn't until... God had rescued me out of my drug addiction that I realized that even in my addiction, there was a God who loved me. I didn't realize that. I thought God was angry at me because I was in sin. And we're going to deal with some of that tonight. The way that we view God, some of us have been given an improper picture of God. And we're beholding an image of God that doesn't truly reflect him. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're really going to dig into it. Tonight, I'm only going to give you one of the ways that we behold his glory and reflect on him. But I, I want to actually, can I take you through the journey of how I've come to this place in the last couple months? I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And I, uh, there's actually like seven parables in this chapter. I'm not going to share them all. I, I want to talk about three. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is bringing out instruction, and he actually shares a really interesting parable, a parable called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he talks about how, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but essentially he talks about how there's a man who went into the field, he sowed some seed, the seeds began to grow, but at night an enemy came in and he also sowed seeds. So you had wheat that began to grow up, and alongside it you had tares that began to grow up. Now there was a concern about this, should we pull up the weeds? No, you can't do that because if you pull that up, it will also damage the wheat. But there will be a time where the harvesters will come, they will harvest everything, and they will separate the wheat from the tares. Later on, I need you guys to trek with me because I'm going somewhere, somewhere with this. This is going to change the way. How does God view you? This is what I'm leading up to. How does God see you? So, 
Jesus explains the parable, and I think I gave you this verse, Matthew 13 and verse 37. He's explaining now to his disciples, explain to us this parable of the wheat and the tares. Are you guys still trekking with me? This is what he says. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Bible quiz, who's the son of man? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. So the man in the parable is the son of man, Jesus, sowing the word. Sowing the word. The field, Jesus is explaining to it. Bible interpretation is not difficult, by the way. When people get all freaked out about revelation, most of the stuff, they're like, what in the world is this all about? Keep on reading. They explain it. Most of the stuff is very plain. And Jesus is like, what is all this wheat and tares and man and seed? And what is all of this? Jesus explains it. He said, so the, the, the good seed of the son of man, verse 38, the field is the world. What is the field? It's the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. That's me and you. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. So God has sons and the devil has sons, right? And so the enemy sowed and the harvest at the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. The tares are gathered and burned in fire. So it will be at the end of the age. So you get the picture. The son of man, Jesus himself, is sowing seeds and it's producing sons and daughters. The enemy, the devil, is also doing his work, and you're watching tears begin to spring up. They're both doing their work in the world. One day, angels will come. That trumpet will blast in the twinkling of an eye. Angels will come. They will catch up. They will reap the world, the righteous to everlasting life, the unrighteous to everlasting judgment. Are we all still together on this? Now, this is where we're going to, this is where I'm going to take you somewhere, and, and this is going to mess with some of you, okay? I'm just warning you. I'm going to give you a perspective that you have never heard before. In this same chapter, Jesus is sharing parable after parable after parable. And in verse 44, Jesus says this The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Everyone say treasure. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. What's the field? Some of you are with me. Jesus has already explained. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all of what these things mean. There's a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Let me give you another one. The very next verse, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. How many of you have been taught that the pearl of great price is Jesus? Have you ever heard this? We sing songs like this. We, we, we have teachings like this. The pearl of great price, Jesus. I have a problem with that interpretation. Because according to what Jesus just said, the field is the world. 
I need you to trek with me. This is going to help you if, you if you walk with me on this, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. There is a treasure in the world. And there's a man we just talked about. Who is the man? Jesus. Jesus comes. He finds a treasure And the Bible says he has so much joy over it that he gives all that he has to buy, literally to redeem not only the treasure, but to redeem the field. What has Jesus come to do? See, some people will translate this to say, oh, Jesus is the treasure. And we give up everything that we have in order to receive him the great. That's not the interpretation Jesus gave. You are the treasure. He is the one who gave everything. He laid down his life. Why? To redeem you and to redeem the world back to himself. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this. He looks and he sees. I'm looking for a great pearl. And he looks And he sees you. And he said, I have found a pearl of great price. He's a merchant who is looking for a pearl of great price. And he finds it in you. So he goes and he gives everything. He lays down his life to purchase, redeem you. You realize that's how God sees you. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this a step further. Are you guys still with me? I'm going to take it a step further. One of the challenges that we have, if you've never heard Dr. Morocco's teaching on church history, you all need to go watch that thing. It's about three hours long, but it's one of the most incredible things that you'll watch. And you'll watch how church history would go along, and about 500 years would pass, and then there would be a Reformation. Constantine, and 500 years, Martin Luther, and the Catholic Reformation, all of these. Do you realize that right now we're in one of those 500-year transitions? And one of the things that happens is there's some interesting things. Do you realize that virtually everything, that every spirit filter, it doesn't matter if it's charismatic, Pentecostal, Foursquare, Assembly of God, all of us do things within the spirit-filled world. And it all goes back to 1906, a revival that happened in California called Azusa Street. And that's wonderful. That's history. That was a rebirth of the, it was the Pentecostal, charismatic awakening. It was wonderful. In 1740, I'm going back in time, there was a man of God by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And God used one sermon from this man to spark what we call America's Great Awakening. Any historians know the name of that sermon? Somebody said it over here. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a very encouraging message. You all ought to go read it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now listen, God used that message. 
in the reality of judgment is true, friend. I, I don't want you to mishear anything that I'm saying tonight. I just read two passages to you. Jesus taught there will be a day of judgment. He will come back. He will reap the earth, and there will be a separation. Those who are in Christ, redeemed glory forever, and those who are apart from Christ, judgment forever. It is true. Hebrews chapter 10 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You do not want to end this life the wrong way. But let me be clear. Judgment is yet to come. Nobody sitting in the sound of my voice hear me. Part of the problem and the reason there are reformations is we will take an experience or a sermon or an idea, including the great awakenings and revivals of our history, and we form entire doctrines and denominations, and I don't think it always reflects the heart of God. Case in point, most of us were raised believing that if you are outside of Christ, you are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And I would submit to you that is absolutely not true. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't see anger in there. He so loved. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Listen, even if you're here today, hear me, even if you are not yet born again and you're sitting in this room, you are not a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You are a pearl of great price whom the Lord himself so delights over that he was willing to lay down his life for the joy of bringing you into relationship with him. You are a treasure which the Lord took joy in. What does the Bible say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are not a sinner in the hands of an angry God. Now, if you die having rejected the Lord and his truth for your entire life and you die in your sin, you will experience the wrath of God. But there is not a single person who is sitting here alive today who is abiding under the wrath of God. This is one of the things that breaks my heart. I, I meet people like this all the time. We do this motorcycle run, and we'll talk to people, and they'll come, and they'll say things like, uh, man, I could never go into church. If I walk into the church, that building would burn down. How many of you have ever heard something like that? The next time you hear somebody say that, I want you to look them in the eyes, and you tell them, sir, ma'am, do you realize that Jesus looks at you and sees a treasure that was worth giving his life for? He looks at you and he sees a pearl that says, I must have them. And he lays down his life for the joy of bringing us into himself. 
That'll change it. That'll change every. It'll change. Now think about this. I don't. I don't think I even have time to. I, I just. I want to minister out of this. This changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. And so you think. There was a reference earlier tonight to the woman with the issue of blood. I don't know why we remember people by their issues. She's not the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus saw her and healed her. She's a woman who is healed of her issues. Jesus looked at Bartimaeus and saw something beyond blindness and restored him. I've shared a few weeks ago about this immoral woman who came and washed the feet of Jesus and doused him in perfume. $60,000 a year's salary, worshiping the Lord. And everybody said, that is a sinful, immoral woman. That is a prostitute. If this was a man of God, he would not let her touch. Jesus didn't see that. He saw the beauty of her adoration and her worship. And he said, Everyone for all ages will know what this woman has done. And then he called her not immoral, not impure, not sinner. She didn't even pray a prayer. She didn't make a profession of faith. She came, she worshiped the Lord, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He saw the treasure. Everybody else saw her sexual history. But he said, no, this is worship, and this is pure, and she's forgiven. It just makes me wonder, as we go, why, why is it important for us to see Jesus in right light, and even how he views me? Guys, when I was dying of a drug overdose, he didn't see addict Jacob. He didn't see rebel Jacob, disobedient prodigal backslider. No, everything that I'm walking in today, Jesus saw even back then. You know that. Anybody can see the garbage. Anybody can see the trash. But the reason that we contend, Lord, I want to prophesy, is because Jesus would look at a woman who had five husbands and say, no, I see a great evangelist. He would look at somebody who is heavily demonized. We call him the demoniac, but Jesus said, no, you're going to be a preacher to 10 cities and blaze the trail for my message to come in. And that's exactly what he did. We would look at a Thomas and say, oh, you're a doubter. You're an unbeliever. But Thomas was the one who said, my Lord and my God. Jesus saw, that's an apostle. That's a man of faith. That's my apostle to India. That's what he's talking about. And he looks at you. And how does he see you? Not a sinner in the hands of an angry God, but he looks at your life and he says, I see treasure in you. I see a call on your life. I see an anointing upon you. Oh. So I didn't even get to point number one. But I'm going to talk, and, and this is what we'll do over the next couple weeks, what I'm going to do, is I'm going to talk about how do we actually behold him. 
Because if God's desire, let me, let me just share one more thought, and then, and then we're going to minister prophetically as the Lord leads us tonight. You realize when Jesus looks, John chapter 1, I think you have this in the notes, John chapter 1 and verse 12. As many as received Jesus, to him he gave the right to become children of God. When he looks at you, do you know what he sees? A son, a daughter of the Most High God. He looks at you. In fact, what Jesus did in Romans chapter 8, oh my goodness. Look with me at Romans 8. Can you handle two more verses? This is what it says, Romans chapter 8. As many as are, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. You see there again, he, he cancels out like, don't be afraid of God. You've received a spirit that says you're adopted, you're a son, you're a daughter. You received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. If children, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will be glorified together with him. That's a big deal. You are a son. You are a daughter. You have rights. You have an inheritance. You have authority to do everything that he has asked you to do. And in the coming verses, the Bible says that the earth is groaning. It is crying out for sons and daughters to reveal themselves. The spirit, the Bible says, groans awaiting the unveiling of the sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that the world is crying out. When Michael French says that the world is more ready for the, for the message of Jesus than the church is for the harvest, that's absolutely true. Do you realize the world, the Spirit of God, is literally crying out for sons and daughters to rise up and be all. It's waiting for, what is Jesus doing in the midst of that storm? There's an ungodly, demonic assignment, and Jesus stands up and releases peace, and peace comes. You realize there's moments where things break out in our world, and it's not as God intended. And the world is waiting for sons and daughters of the Most High God who will stand up and say, No, I do not receive this storm. I release the peace of God into this situation right now. There are situations you look at. Why will I contend for a cancer-free zone? Because everything about cancer is rebellious. Your body, your cells are rebelling against you, premature death. I do not see anything. God doesn't do that to teach you a lesson. No, and would be to God, there would be some people who would say, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God with rights and inheritance and authority, the same power that Jesus operated in, you and I can operate in. So we will not tolerate sickness or disease sapping the life of sons and daughters of God. No, we will see every day for people fulfilled. We will see God do all he desires to do. We need sons and daughters to rise up. This is why this prophetic ministry is so important because I see what God has called you to be. I see the treasure. I see the pearl of great price that you are, that Jesus was willing to lay down his life. Why? For the right to become sons and daughters 
of his. That's what he's made available to us. Kyle, would you come and get on the guitar here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to prophesy. This last, yeah, piano's great. That's more spiritual, hallelujah. I had one of the greatest joys that does not ever grow old this last Monday of being able to hold my newborn niece, baby Noah Noel. I had the joy. Jeremy and my brother, uh, they, they had their baby, Bethany. They had their baby, and oh, man, that baby is precious to be able to go. In fact, we were over there in Hilo. We went because we heard that she was going into labor. So we were just waiting. So we get the call. Jeremy sends us a message. It's time. And so we rush over there to the hospital. And uh, we were literally in the room, not even, I don't know, yeah, 30 minutes. uh, uh, I mean, she had just barely given birth. And we were able to go up there and hold that baby and oh my goodness little Elijah I can't believe my mom has a baby and I had a sister and I mean just to be able to rejoice with the kids and then and then to see Jeremy I mean I've never I've never seen him so proud he's got his little baby girl and just to congratulate him and to rejoice with him and uh, oh it was awesome to be able to hold that baby and to pray for that baby and don't you just love the smell of a newborn baby oh my I just smell them Oh, I just love it. But then I look over and I see mama. I I see Bethany. And and again, not an hour has passed and we're in that room. And she's still there shaking. Because of all that she's endured physically in the birthing of that child. It was intense. Intense. Only a mom knows what that's like. For all of the moms in the house, God bless you. I honor you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to all the moms. Come on, if you've got a mom sitting next to you right now, you just better, come on, thank you. You guys, you, know, you guys are amazing. You're amazing. I just want you, you're amazing. You're amazing. But something happens that there's that intensive labor and then there's the birthing but what is produced is a child and you realize that's what Romans is talking about I believe on the authority of scripture that we are entering into a time where labor pains in the earth are going to be more intense than anything that's ever been experienced I'm just, I'm telling you, like, you think like, well, praise God, COVID's over. No, Jesus said plagues, plural. I'm not a gloom and doom guy, but there is more. Financial distresses, wars. Read Matthew 24. There's a whole list, 16 different things. But alongside the turmoil that we see, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. They will prophesy. 
All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are going to see the greatest revival in human history. You realize these birth pains, what happens? My sister-in-law is in birth pains, but it produces a child. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Spirit of God groans and that the earth is crying out. And it literally uses the words labor pains. The earth is crying out for what? For sons and daughters to be released into the earth with the same authority, with the same heir, with the same inheritance that Jesus himself had. The Bible says that he's the firstborn among many brethren. You know who the many brethren are? That's you. That's me. We are sons and daughters. And this is the time for us to rise up. This is the time for us to rise up. Oh, can we just stand? We're going we're gonna to pray right now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Our goal is to make as many messages available for free as possible. But if you've been impacted today and would like to sow into our ministry, please visit our website at jacobbarrientos.org.